everybody, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. I am Drew Scanlon. Joining me, as always, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I'm feeling great, Drew. Uh, I am looking forward to diving back into Drive to Survive, the only F1 available to watch in the world at the moment. <laughs> uh, also joining us, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Hey, not too bad. Uh, the lack of sport is starting to get to me. Oh, no. Who knows how I'll be doing in two weeks. Yeah, what's what's, I, what's happening? What's what's what part of your psyche is falling apart? Uh, sports provided a really nice. It's it's a different sort of relaxation and leisure than watching TV or movies, right? But like I don't know, it's a, it's a weird thing. Like you can you can kind of be half engaged with sports or fully engaged, and they consume a lot of time. They're a nice sort of companion thing to have on the background. Uh, I don't know. I miss I miss all of that. Yeah, I, I feel like just watching these Drive to Survive episodes made me just miss it. I know. It's like, man, I miss this. <laughs> it, it feels yeah. like when you when you break up with someone that like a week later when you're like. Ah, uh, I miss having them around. <laughs> Wish they uh, were here. Well, we're glad you're here, listeners. Uh, if you have just found Formula One, we actually have an episode designed for newbies that explains the entire sport from top to bottom. Uh, albeit under the assumption that we would have a full season this year. Actually, just today we got somebody on on Twitter asking this question. So wonderful. Uh, uh, if you uh, would like some context for this whole thing, that is episode ninety six. If you like, go back and watch uh, or listen. No better time. You got a whole they, year to get yeah. good at learning Formula One. Do it. Why uh, learn a also, language when you can learn about Formula One? <laughs> exactly. Uh, there's room for both. Uh, <laughs> this show is also supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shift F1, where every month we release bonus podcasts uh, exclusively for our patrons, which cover racing documentaries and films, primers for other racing series and other weird things. So if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of that, uh, along with early access to all the video content that we do over on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash shift F1, head over to patreon.com slash shift F1 or click the link in the show notes. Uh, what do we got this month, Danny, Patreon-wise? Yeah, the Patreon train is still uh, running. Thank you so much to everyone who's been supporting us. A little bit of a downtick this month, as can be expected, but uh, we're still uh, we're still pumping out the goods. The Hanoi Street Circuit track walk is up. Yes, it was recorded before Nightmare World occurred. So uh, it's a it's there's a good joke in there about the stands being empty. So we were at least at that stage in the COVID-19 reality. Um, but uh, yeah, that's uh, that's up on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash shift F1. Uh, and then for patron only stuff, we are, I believe next week recording our next patron exclusive podcast, um, which is kind of similar to this one. Actually, we kind of, this is the format that we usually do with those, at least when we're doing film reviews. Um, the movie we are going to watch is available on Netflix. It is Uppity, the Willie T. Ribs story. Um. Uh, yeah, it came up on a podcast at the end of a podcast we did a little while back. So uh, we're going to jump into that one. It's uh, He's not somebody I'm familiar with, but uh, both of you guys seem to know a little bit about him. Uh, I, I actually don't, but uh, Rob? Yeah, I mean, he, he was the only African-American driver on the NASCAR grid for ages. Uh, and so he's memorable from that standpoint i was a little kid when he was driving so in terms of like remembering how competitive he was uh i don't remember him being very 
Um, but I also don't know very much about like what his background was, how he got into the sport. And so I'm really curious to revisit the story of a character who was in the background of IndyCar, uh, during the sports kind of heyday like this, you know, he was also there at a time when IndyCar was the premier open, uh, wheel series in the U S and by some lights, an increasing rival to F1. Uh, and, and so, and there's a couple interesting things happening uh, at the intersection of Willie T. Ribb's career, at, career and where IndyCar was at the time. Right. Uh, so it's a, a story I'm keen to see uh, and learn more about. Yeah, so we'll have that up uh, pretty soon, next uh, week or so, let's say. And uh, we're going to keep doing the street, the, the, the track walks. Uh, we, we ran into an interesting problem where... When we decided to do the track walks, China had already been postponed, uh, so we never record the China one, which I believe would be the next one, because Zanfort, which we have recorded already, isn't until, I think it's the first week of May was when it was meant to be on. Right. Um, So we're going to have to figure out the China thing. Uh, We've uh, we've been talking about doing some remote uh, filming. We can do it. Danny, with our expertise, we can figure this out. All right, we'll do it. Uh, yeah, so as mentioned, the podcast for the foreseeable future is a little different from what we normally do. Instead of the pre-race and post-race episodes, we'll be alternating uh, news update episodes uh, along with some answers to user emails um, mm. that uh, you know review the most recent season, um, or rather, the, and then alternate with the most recent season of Drive to Survive uh, episode reviews. It's sort of a way to keep that F1 spirit alive during this dark race carless time. So if you'd like to send us emails, you can do so at <laughs> shift F1 podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Don't go to the website. I'm still working on that. We should have it back in one day. <laughs> uh, but uh, yes, uh, this episode is one of those drive to survive episodes. So uh, should we kick it off? Uh, Danny? Sure. Uh, yeah. We're today. We're going to be covering episodes four, five, and six. If you missed two weeks ago's episode where we covered the first three episodes then go back and check those out and if you've not watched drive to survive you should probably do that too it's pretty good um it's available on netflix the episodes we're going to talk today are episode four dark days episode five great expectations and episode six raging bulls how did they not use that title last year i do not know it's right there it's a gimme um the three episodes are primarily focused on two teams and kind of on three personalities the first one is very much the story of mercedes we did not get them last year on drive to survive and uh, shepherding us through mercedes's interesting early half of the season is toto wolf he's kind of the the main um protagonist of that episode uh, the fifth episode great expectations is the pierre gasly episode and a sort of a part of it uh, kind of a de facto two-parter between episode five and episode six um six uh sort of focusing on alexander albon and what happened over let's say the first you know two-thirds to three-quarters of uh, the season over red bull or at least the first half i guess it kind of it ends up on um so let's dive into Dark days, I guess. Mercedes, uh, noticeably absent from last year's season. Uh, you know, a lot of... In in many ways, I feel like this was, for, you know, for good reasons and for terrible reasons, this was probably the season to do an episode uh, with Mercedes. And I also remember last year, when we were on the podcast, frothing at the mouth at the possibility that perhaps they were shadowing them during the ridiculous German Grand Prix, um, which ended up being the case. Uh, So I guess this one opens, to get into it, um, at the Mercedes plant, and an interview with Toto talking about uh, 
you know, how they are effectively war planning every year and they must not let one piece of complacency creep in um, as he talks to everyone at the factory about crushing, I believe is the word he used, <laughs> yes. um, the competition. Um, what did in his you German make- accent. In his German, yeah, I know. It's it's hard to get away when somebody's talking about war planning with a German accent. It kind of, you know, to a big crowd of people, it kind of stirs up some imagery. Um, the, what did you make of Toto in this uh in this episode, uh, obviously, we, we get into the history of Nicky Lauda um, joining the, the, the board as a non-executive member and helping to bring Lewis onto the team and how they sort of turned it all around in 2013 and Toto was there as well. Um, what, did, what did you make of, uh, of Toto during this episode, guys? Go for it, Rob. I mean, kind of the exact... <sighs> He is exactly the sort of ice cold, uh, just what, what's the way I put this? Like neutral evil seeming, like just <laughs> there. Like this is the guy. The, the war planning stuff. The fact that like he doesn't just want to win at this point because they've won so many times. What motivates you at this point? Right. Apparently, it's just crushing your enemies. <laughs> at, like at this stage, like it's it's no longer enough to win. Uh, what is enough is just humiliating and breaking the spirits of our rivals. And does that make Toto Wolf uh, more likable? Absolutely not. But does it kind of demonstrate why maybe he has run such an incredibly successful program? Uh, you know, yeah, I think I, I think it does. Like, I think it, it goes a long way to explaining why Mercedes has been dominant. But also, it doesn't seem like Mercedes might be the most fun place to be. Very New England Patriots vibe from this, right? Yeah. Where, like, you'll go there, you're going to win. Are you going to have a great time? Are you going to be part of the F1 circus? Maybe not. Yeah, it's... it's I wouldn't call his style ruthless, but it's... Um stripped down or it's no it's no nonsense like there is nothing superfluous here like emotions yeah but and I, but it's not necessarily cold for the sake of being cold it's just like it's like i don't know pragmatism on steroids or something yes he's just like very you know he do, probably also sees the ill the ill effect of having no emotion so like having that little bit of emotion and then moving on and of course yeah he, emotion he, Sorry, Sorry he, he seems to understand that his team is made up of human beings, right? Uh, which, you know, to the degree that you need to understand that to make your team the most effective. Yeah, exactly. Um, keep people around and all that and, and make sure that doubt doesn't creep in. And we sort of get into some of that later in the episode. Um, and, you know, emotions are a really important uh, touch point in this episode because of course the we, we sort of pick up around that may 2019 period when uh, f1 sadly lost nikki lauda um we have a sit down with uh, lewis hamilton who was talking about when he was texting him during his high and low days um, and then we get a brief uh, you know piece of of the team working at monaco we, we return to monaco in the next episode um, in a more substantive way, but uh, about uh, Lewis winning and how this is a, a victory uh, for Nikki and everyone was wearing their Nikki caps and all that stuff. Um, and then we get to Hockenheim, and that's kind of where I feel like the most of this episode ends up happening, um, which uh, opens with a really fun, like, back and forth between the sort of <laughs> opposite, what did you say, neutral evil 
Uh, so yeah. where is Gunter Steiner on this then, Rob? Oh, uh, <laughs> chaotic good, chaotic or? neutral, okay. chaotic yeah. neutral. I yeah. would say, uh, yeah, just everything is there on the surface. Like Steiner is all awkward insecurity, and uh, I don't know. It's just such a weird exchange. The weird, like you can speak German to me. I know you're married to an English woman, but like you, can, you can speak German to me, and just kind of a just a weirdness to that whole thing where it's like, come on, we understand each other. We're both German, a uh, country where. That's like a country that's so small that obviously it's like your neighbors. Uh, it's it's such a it's such a weird exchange, and also there's this there is also the weird dynamic of Gunther tweaks everybody. It's, it's apparently not just his team. Yeah. It's not just his energy is not just to poke people who work for him or work with him. He does that with everybody, including people who are like an entire weight class above, <laughs> right? This is this is very much uh you know, this is very much like a house cat uh sort of baiting a tiger. Yeah. yeah. I love the dynamic there. What what was it he's saying like uh We've you have uh, less oxygen up in the mountains, you mountain people. <laughs> and right. he said, we're the best runners. I wonder what that dynamic is like because because Gunter is from Italy, but he's yeah, obviously Northern from like Italy. A, he's from that German enclave. Like the Alps. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder how German people relate to them. Is it like? Is it like Irish and Irish American people? Probably not. It's probably more <laughs> like you know connected. But I I've thought heard that, that was uh, fun. people from Northern Germany are more of the. Uh, you know, stoic, and then people from the south are more right, like freewheeling. Yeah, so I, I could imagine that. Yeah, I could be wrong. With like that. those Munich people are a little bit wilder than the the Berliners. Well, right. that's the thing, though. Is is like. Yeah, you're, you're both German, but Germany's huge. Germany is huge. There's like multiple, until relatively recently, that was multiple countries that just shared a language. Uh, so I, I do I do kind of love this notion of Steiner trying to be like, hey, we're peers. Like, we're both yeah. German guys. Uh, you just, you know, when you get out of bed, you win six world championships. And when I get out of bed, I berate Roman Grosjean to make myself feel big. <laughs> Um, we uh, we have a little bit of a moment with Valtteri Bottas who talks about how tough Lewis is to beat um, but he's generally not really in this all that much Valtteri is um, no. Lewis pops in here and there but um, the the main I, focus I think, of, sorry go on yeah sorry the, the, right before that um, <laughs> it starts with Toto saying you know the best drivers are those who have overcome adversity and then we go right mm. into Hamilton and then it's all and then it's like also Valtteri Bottas is here yeah so, and I, you know, I've always felt bad for the guy, whoever, I mean, you can kind of see this reflected in a lot of teams, uh, throughout history and throughout the current paddock is you've got the one superstar and then his teammate and you can't like, you know, we'll get into this more, I guess, in the, the subsequent episodes, but, hmm. um, it's a, it's a tricky dynamic and Valtteri's like, you know, I, it's Hamilton's hard to beat. It's uh, the supportive role has been difficult. I just want to win. And like, what do you do as number two? I, I think there's something else here, too, which is that I do 10 episodes. Is, I need more. I, I you know, <laughs> like nine, 10 episodes. I need a longer season, maybe multiple teams. Because I think one issue we run into here 
Uh, and this definitely makes itself felt a little bit more in the next episode. There is sometimes a turn toward ready-made reality TV beats with Drive to Survive in yeah. a way that frustrates me. And Valtteri, I think, gives us one of the most authentic moments of vulnerability that we've seen in Drive to Survive in this episode where he talks about, like, you know, every time Lewis wins, it, it's like twisting the knife. Uh, a little bit, you know, twisting the knife of that insecurity, that doubt. Um, Valtteri is kind of a reserved guy, but I think he has a pretty clear vulnerability, um, you know, to to him that I suspect if you had time to build rapport with him as an interview subject and follow him around, I think you could make Valtteri Botas a really compelling and interesting character in a documentary but instead we sort of view him through this keyhole where we get a sense of man this is a guy who takes a beating being partnered with mm. the most dominant f1 driver of his generation and then that's all that's kind of all we all that needs to be said because what we have to return to is what might be a slightly forced narrative of you know nikki's ghost is watching you at Ger in germany for the for the anniversary like you you know this is all this is all obviously uh weighing heavily on you so the, you know everything that happens in this race is going to be extra significant because otherwise you will shame nikki lauda in the afterlife that's kind of how these the, mm -hmm. the vibe of this is uh and i i think sometimes that is to the series detriment a little bit uh because we we tend to Sometimes I feel as the narrative is forced a little bit more than it is allowed to happen organically. Um, that being said, Mercedes is forcing a narrative in this episode. Like that's that's one of the through lines here is that they're trying to have their their celebration and create a story out of right. what should otherwise be Mercedes waxing their competition again uh, at the German Grand Prix. Totally, I think I think you've hit the nail on the head, and I think the episodes the sort of def double feature we get in the next episode is a really good example of what happens when you allow the story to get a bit more space and you can actually spend time with these characters and get to know them when they certainly don't here. Um, it would be interesting to know how much production time they had with Mercedes because perhaps that, maybe they struck out lucky and they were just with them during Germany and that was their one shot. And it, That sounds um, like the case. Right. It's it's Yeah, I guess, well, there is a Ferrari one coming up as well, right? More so... One of the last, uh, I forget. Yes. Yeah, there yeah. is. The next yeah. one, I think. Yeah, I think yeah. episode um, seven is. Uh, but yeah, as Rob said, we are here at Hockenheim. The, is it 150th anniversary mm -hmm. of Mercedes racing? Is that true? One, 125, Surely I think. not. 125? Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, and, they're, um, and then they, they're that's wearing... super early adoption. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're wearing 1950s gear because that's... They first started the Formula One championship in 1954. Right. Um, okay, here's where they are. Here's where they curse themselves with that. If you're gonna wear the 1950s getup, if you're gonna have Toto wearing his fucking Lombardi hat or whatever, or his George, ha George Hallis hat, you gotta lose the branding. You can't be you can't be walking around in the Mercedes AMG Patronus like shirt with the branding on it with overalls and your fucking fedora. You commit to this or you don't, right? Like that. Like if you want to know where it started to go wrong, it was that they didn't commit to the bit contracts, man. Uh, they cut. They yeah. should have. They should have had them like uh, like stitched. On the on on the like paddy caps they were wearing like or, Patronus yeah, or go with yes and go go with like retro style graphic design or something to have it like subtly in there or something like make this work but the entire the entire thing doesn't work because yeah you got you got them wearing their their hokey 1950s get up with like their just regular t 
team logo uh, <laughs> shirts. And then when you see the car livery, uh, we've got a special livery, and it's under under blankets for you know several minutes before we finally get a look at this car. It's the the special livery literally literally looks like a can of Lacroix <laughs> on wheels. God, until rich energy. They lost, missed out on it there. Um, Rob is sick of the the delivery, and uh, Lewis is just plain sick. He's got a fever of forty degrees, about one hundred and five, I think, um, in Fahrenheit. Um, he uh, doesn't That's do high. particularly well in qualifying. Yeah, uh, he gets in the car sick. He does thirteen fastest, but of course, you know the dry. He just le- he he switches to hammer time, gets first uh, for stop and splits himself and Valtteri because uh, Botas came third. Then we have, is this the, what happens here? There's like a little. We kind of get the start of. um, The AC. That's that's the note. I was like, what's the AC about? And it was Toto talking about how Nikki liked having the AC in the middle. Oh, right. Yeah. (laughs) Because they used to have dinner. Yeah, a little uh, check we also in with Toto. Start to get uh, Hamilton, like a like a, a glimpse into the personality of Lewis Hamilton, which yeah. is something that you see flashes of from time to time. Like there's there's media, there's camera on Lewis Hamilton, and then there's like underneath deeply, deeply insecure deeply emotional Lewis, Lewis <laughs> like Hamilton. Yes, God, like when, when it's so was, strange. Yeah, and you can you can tell that that's the engine that feeds uh the part that you do see hmm. um but occasionally like in this episode you get peaks behind it or or sometimes you hear it on the radio right um but i think the first indication here is like when hamilton is sick in his car uh he he's um he says something about you know i don't know if i can do this and then toto basically has to get on the radio and like talk him down yeah um and we cut to uh the interview sec- segment where he says, um, as a kid, I always knew that if I just work harder than everyone else, I should be able to achieve something extraordinary. And that's how I've kind of been wired, Mm. uh, which I think is pretty telling, um, uh, uh, for things that happen, uh, in the future of this episode. Yeah. Seems like he's full of, uh, self-belief, but also, um, Maybe because he has that as a pillar that he can rest on, he's incredibly self-critical um, yes. when things don't go right. Um, so, uh, lights out and away we go in Hockenheim for the German Grand Prix. It is raining cats and dogs. It is raining on some parts of the track. It's dry on others. Uh, we don't necessarily need to do a lap by lap on this one because we did it last year. Go check out episode. <laughs> it was <laughs> enormous. Know, 79 or something. <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of fun, that one was. Um but uh, I have a sort of a reduced version of it here, which was uh, Verstappen dropping back pretty early on. Interesting for somebody who's usually good in the rain. Uh, Perez, I remember spinning on the first lap. He binned it in the wall. Then we just had a cavalcade of drivers spinning out, especially in that final little drag strip um, that we saw so many cars just unable to get any friction, traction on it whatsoever. Carlos Sainz spins, Verstappen spins, Leclerc crashes into the wall. Um, Hamilton crashes almost immediately behind Leclerc, jumps over the pit lane entry, misses the bollard. Uh, The wrong tires are in the pits when he comes out. It's a nightmare. He's a one minute, five seconds in the pit lane. Uh, Hulkenberg crashes. They don't, it's almost a shame they didn't, because Hulkenberg crashing was like, I think, did they do it in that later episode, I think? They I, yes they do I th- yeah because that that was the most heartbreaking one of them all I think yeah or was it wait was it before did we already talk about it 
They're all around together for me. I've watched uh, it twice now, so I can't remember which right. one. Right. Um, I, 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 I do. I liked hearing the uh, pit crew radio when they were changing his front wing. Yes, they were it was great. Like, throwing all kinds of lingo around. Like they said the the you know the phrase seventy six a lot. I don't know right. what that means, but uh, they were really <laughs> excited about it. Um. Then we had uh, Hamilton spinning again. Uh, he retiring. Oh no, he wanting to retire the car and yeah, basically throw, which I throwing was really in the towel. Yeah, I remember that during the race and thinking it was wild. Like every point matters. Like yeah, and, your and car I, is the best car on the circus. Don't be a fucking baby. Like just go hunt right, down one it, point. Is this because he doesn't want to be the one to let the team down? I wonder. Yeah, like oh, the car is just you know it's too dangerous or yeah, like he doesn't want to be behind Valtteri or yeah. Just wait a couple of laps, man. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, they they basically tell you, Lewis, now there's 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 points there for you to get. Uh, Botas is pushing. I I feel Botas is Botas's crash is like the hardest to watch in many ways because you can see that just a tiny yes. sliver of wet track he hit. Mm-hmm. It's. I don't think. I think we're getting higher. I think we're getting better quality footage than we did last year, right? Like, I think it's getting processed in a way that the feeds we saw last year were, were not. Um, and almost certainly we're seeing it in higher resolution and a higher bit rate. But, like, I don't remember the crash looking this unfair. Like, yeah, he, like yeah. you, you watch when you get the overhead helicopter shot oh, of him in the dry line and touching the wet. And you can't even see really like where the wheels really went over. It's it's like it touches the wet and he's gone. And then the other thing you see is just the brutal face cam, yeah. uh, which because yeah. there's no sunlight, you can see his eyes. And so you see him like frantically like looking around as the car begins to get away from him. Uh, and the realization he's not even really trying to save it. Right. No. Like He knows he's just trying to like, am I going to get hit? Right. Like what's what's around me as we as we go off this course? Uh, it's a it's a heartbreaking moment. Yeah, it's a killer. Uh, you just it's one of those reminders and we get more of it in the next episode but like how everything is just on a knife's edge for these folks especially in rain um just kisses the water and and yeah like you said he's a passenger and he knows it and that the frantic uh, yeah the darting left and right to see like where when am i going to hit kind of uh it was really something else um yeah the race ends tough day at the office somebody says to toto on his phone um he says, no, a total crap shit fucking day at the office <laughs> doing his best <laughs> Gunter Steiner impression. Um, and then he says something. Itch- I forget how the race ended. Did Lewis get a couple of points? I think. No. No, he didn't even. Think, okay. I guess um, he ended up in like P12 or something. Okay. Yeah. Finished, I guess, which is a lot of other drivers couldn't say. Um, but he had a really good line, I think, which kind of, I think, exemplified the type of management strategy that he has, especially against, you know, folks like Gunter Steiner, where he says, we have a no-blame culture. We blame the problem rather than the person, which I found that's like a very responsible way of managing this type of organization where everyone has one very particular goal and any one link in that chain might stop you getting towards it. Um, I thought that was that was pretty interesting. 
Well, can you imagine, like, he, there's the scene where he's telling Lewis, like, because Lewis is beating himself up about the decision to just dive into the pits, cross the bollard, and go in when the team isn't prepared. And Wolf is very clear. He's like, no, that was absolutely the right decision. Like, there was no way we were not going to lose more time if you had to go all the way around. Like, that's, mm-hmm. don't even, don't even worry about that. Um, and I was thinking about the, the the Steiner comparison is instructive here, right? Because I could I can very easily imagine this was a very understandable series of mistakes, right? Like he gets away from Lewis, he surprises the team with his emergency stop because you just you don't expect the guy whose course marker position says he's rounding the final corner to suddenly <laughs> appear in your pits. Uh, like, yeah. th- of course they were going to be caught flat-footed, but I can very easily imagine the Steiner version of this where, you know, he is, where he doesn't respect his driver enough to say, yeah, dude, of course that was the right decision. Like, trust your instincts. And also doesn't respect his pit crew enough to accept that, like, hey, sometimes a crack team under duress is going to be caught out. Mm. Um, mistakes mistakes will get made uh and i i do think wolf had a very a, a, a very deft handling of that but also it seems like everyone at mercedes is so super serious that it you know these points do not require emphasis right yeah um yeah like you said there's that interesting exchange where it looks like a pure person or somebody kind of gets in the way of the camera a little bit as well it was like a it was the one moment i feel like this whole episode where you felt like you got a little bit of a look behind the veil um yeah it's like well what's what's lewis doing is lewis okay yeah. where can we is the camera is here what do we do is everything okay his i think the line he said or he said he's, he was distraught about that fucking corner yeah. i think is what he said or something um we also got a really good insight into the absolute just horrible shithead journalist <laughs> you get from places like the sun who's just like asking the most loaded jerk question how embarrassing was this for you how embarrassing is this yeah and toto's like should i even answer you know (laughs) and then he does you know know, i would i would ask the same question though yeah i think it's i think it's a fair question because like they treated this like a debutante ball (laughs) yeah 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 i i mean to an extent like I, i i get the frustration of I think there's a tendency to view the press as the enemy because the press does deal in narratives, right? If you're not winning, you're losing. Uh, If you're not a genius, then you are the biggest bunch of clowns who ever, you know, put on their cleats or or put a car (laughs) on the track or whatever. Uh, So I I understand that. Like, I think media in general uh, has a problem with building narratives. I think it's true of all media, right? Not just Mm. sports media. But, like, I think sometimes the desire to have a clear narrative uh, does interfere with the capacity to relay facts and make connections. Uh, That being said, though, like, this... Like, the story does kind of write itself. Like, Mercedes swaggered into this thinking there was no way they would be stopped, and they turn in their worst performance. Mm. That being said, I'm not sure it's a particularly interesting story, right? Like, sometimes shit goes bad. Yeah, and, like, this was such a dice roll of a race. Like, it was just nonsense. Like, the thing that most cars crashed because of and Lewis did was this freak water meets weird surface that just like yeah there's a slip and slide on the track yeah it was like a bug if this is a video game they would have patched the circuit like it was just <laughs> it was silly um and yeah like you meant you sort of alluded to earlier they they round out that narrative a little bit by having nikki lauda voiceover saying everybody makes mistakes and um it seemed as much i think to acknowledge 
Nikki in some way. They had interviewed him very slightly. I think it might have been from last year, maybe as well. I'm not. It, it, they had one very short interview at the start, um, and obviously they they sort of uh, uh, ended with him there. Uh, and that was episode four. Uh, Can I just say every time they show Nikki and Nikki talks and he's got his delivery and you see clips of Nikki from his racing days. God damn, the dude in Rush is incredibly like oh, accurate yeah. Yeah, in his portrayal so of Nikki. It's uncanny. Yeah. For such a very particular way of speaking and it's yeah. It's it's wonderful. Like like literally if you were like, "Oh yeah, those are just stills from Rush." I'd be like, "Yeah, totally. I wonder what the real Nikki Lauda looked like back in the day." Like it's it's un it's unreal. It did like seeing this did remind me like, "Damn, that dude turned in one hell of a performance." Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really good. If you want to check out our review of it, be- is that his name? I guess that's his name, yeah. Yeah. Uh, go to uh, become a patron. Uh, <laughs> Patreon.com/shiftf1. You can check that's out right. our review. That's right. Oh, that was a good episode. <laughs> Yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, you need content. Don't act like you're too good for our Patreon, <laughs> despite the fact there's no F1. <laughs> We're trying here. We're trying. Um, episode five, then. The Pierre Gasly episode. Great expectations. Uh, you know, the, the the big story of last year was the sort of uh, the reoccurrence of the killer mindset at Red Bull. Um you know clashing with the desire to put younger and younger and less experienced drivers into those race seats and perhaps there is no better um foil for that story than uh than pierre gasly what he experienced so we, we sort of jump right into it coming off the heels of the episode last season where we had danny ricardo's shock move to renault um we we open with Christian Horner in his house doing the you know very normal thing of having his multitude of children and their babysitting army hiding behind couches while his pop star wife comes home. <laughs> it's this scene. They're just this, like, like us. This they're just I, like us, Rob. This was so reality TV. It yeah. killed me. Like everything. First of all, I love the hey. Uh, could I have? Could I have another post egg, please? And I'm like, oh, is is his is his wife going to be making that? No, 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 no. We see a post egg how? being tossed into the pot. We don't see who's doing it. And I realize, like in this domestic scene, uncommented on by the camera, really, is a small army of like domestic help. And I think that's. It's an interesting choice, right? To 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 be like, um, Danny just went away and said battery exhausted. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm still here. It's just the camera. Danny exhausted. <laughs> that's so that's that's so good. Danny I, just Danny just ran out of juice. I'm gonna get a new battery. Keep keep talking. Here. But yeah, but I, but I do kind of find it an interesting choice of they're trying so hard to make this like oh it's a sweet normal domestic scene. Um, who's making breakfast? Someone uh, who's, who's minding the kids. Uh, someone else. It's so funny. Uh, and and then they sort of wait for to surprise mom uh, coming in and sort of this, this stage moment. And then we build toward this moment of talking to the kids who's their favorite driver. And they all name X Red Bull. It's so X funny. Red Bull drivers. That's so funny. Uh, one says Lewis Hamilton. One says Sebastian. Uh, but... <laughs> then we get the uh we, we get the question well who you know christian who's who's your favorite driver yeah. and we get the fucking for reality effect. show like yeah the the, <laughs> the 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 little like the little sound skip and the hard cut 
to like everyone looking at him and him like looking a little like taken aback. And which which was he, just from like five minutes earlier when somebody asked something else, probably. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like it is <laughs> such it is, it is such a reality show moment that like I swear to God, if like Kristen Cavallari had, had just walked into the scene at that moment, like accompanied by Jay Cutler, I would have been like, yeah, this tracks. This is <laughs> yeah, this is part of the same universe. Yeah, it's mad. Uh, it's not the only bit of domestic bliss we get from the Horner household. We'll be back later on um, uh, for, for some more of that hot action. Uh, we get a sort of a little recap on the state of Red Bull. Daniel leaving, um, shots of Pierre Gasly getting his photo taken, the photographer asking him to smize, um, <laughs> which is a common thing apparently at Red Bull photo shoots. Uh, the the reminder to everyone that Max Verstappen is only 21 years old. Like, he's younger than all of these young drivers that come in. I can't believe yeah. he's that young. To me, he's yeah. like an old head at this stage. He's been around so long. Do you, do you remember the, right at the beginning of the scene, Christian Horner is talking about Daniel Ricciardo, and they correct yeah. his pronunciation? Oh, my God. Number one, that was, there are two scenarios here. Number one, Christian Horner... Uh, is doing this on purpose because like he doesn't respect Daniel Ricardo for what he did or number two he doesn't know how to pronounce Daniel Ricardo's name a guy who it's, drove for him for years I thought of, it was an, I thought it was unbelievable shade until he was like yeah I don't know he only drove for us for five years I think he did genuinely fuck up yeah. and realize like he was like how did like I worked with this guy for five years how did I just do that well, not, right. not uh, to go but down I did the, think sorry go on no, but I did think for a moment that it was just the most stone cold shade uh, that I've seen, which I do not put pa- I do not put past Christian Horner. Well, it's a, it's a way it, not to get down the the Pierre Gas or the sorry the Charles Leclerc Charles Leclerc thing, but like Rick, Ricciardo is how the you know the Italians pronounce it, and also he kind of says it. He almost doesn't say either Ricardo or Ricciardo. He kind of does a little inflection on the eye, like he's in the middle somewhere. He's he's made this new pronunciation where he just touches the eh in the middle. Um, but yeah, it was fun. It was fun to see them catching him out there. Uh, we get uh, Pierre Gasly and Max Verstappen having a bit of uh, japes together. They are old friends, as are all of this young generation of F1 drivers who were all created in the same lab, presumably. Um, the uh, uh, He reminiscing about, uh, he said, you fucking bastard, because he used to always, uh, Verstappen used to always, apparently in their karting days, start behind Pierre and then knock him off the track on the first turn. <laughs> Um, and then we're off to Monaco, beautiful Monaco. There is a very long, almost like the intro to that Hitman Miami level of a sort of like funky European beats, nice cars, nice boats. Boats, uh, oh yeah. Yeah, very fancy, uh, beautiful shots of Monaco. Daniel Ricardo smiling at the Red Bull team and waving at them next A woman door. in a ball. A woman in a you're A woman in a ball in a pool. That's right. That was a very video game touch. Like, that was one of those things where I was like, people don't seriously do that. Do They do at Monaco. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apparently that's in good taste in Monaco. Well, but. I mean, if you didn't have her in the ball, she'd just be in the pool wet. So you got to put her in the ball. That's right. Yeah. Obviously. Uh, the uh, Also, we have to have uh, Pierre Gasly uh, pretending to be thrilled by the, like, overly branded Red Bull speedboat right. pulling up. And he's like, this looks sick. And I'm like, really? Because it, <laughs> it looks like shit, fam. <laughs> looks uh, like they rented a boat and put some bulls on it. <laughs> yeah. uh, we got a little recap then of Gasly's poor season, him crashing twice in preseason testing and costing over 2 million euro worth of damage. Um how that sort of rocked his confidence. Uh, and then we're sent out, you know, to 
to go around Monaco during, I think it might have been practice, um, or maybe it was qualification, actually, and him almost binning it around the swimming pool, part of the track. Oh, so uh, scary. Horner and Helmut Marco having the first of a couple of exchanges. Helmut, Helmut no shit Marco, who is the um, evil emperor of that team, it turns out. <laughs> he is. He's the Palpatine. Um, Chris, yeah, the Palpatine, totally. Christian Horner saying uh, he probably needed to come in and change his underwear, I think. Um, but he did recover the car pretty well. Right before that, uh, I think as he's getting in the car, Christian Horner says to him, uh, all right, just, uh, you know, don't be a hero. Just go out yep. there and relax. Like, Monaco is not the, the first, first race of the season here. Gasly's had a number of races under his belt at this point, and Christian Horner is still trying to calm him down uh, yeah, and focus him. It, in a, and also in a in that kind of way that a mentor tries to calm you down but actually makes you way more anxious oh, like yes. you could, like i think there is very it's very difficult to maybe christian horn is not the best person to alleviate the pressure that everyone in the room knows exists everyone knows that he's under the spotlight every decision he makes now every micro decision he makes is under scrutiny but he just can't seem to at least the exchanges we saw to communicate that sort of natural, like he's, even when Horner's talking about it on camera, I think later on, he's talking about how, you know, you just need to like be in the moment. You can't overanalyze. He looks at the numbers too much. You know, you just have to, and when he's talking to him, it's in this guarded tense. Like you can tell he's like talking through his teeth. Like he's not yeah. being authentic no pressure. with him. Don't screw up, but no pressure, but don't screw right? up. It's so strange. Um, yeah. I wonder well, if it's, it's just, as much it's Horner protecting bad... himself. Maybe. I don't know his career. I can't figure it out. Like that entire dynamic, and once we start hearing the radio calls that they're giving him later oh, in this episode, uh, I can't, like, I watched this, and on the one hand, I was like, they're being surprisingly empathetic and patient with him, and on the other hand, my God, if you wanted to slowly and irretrievably drive someone around the bend yeah. and destroy their confidence, you could not do a better job. And so I'm, I, I came away from this, like, I came away from this really starting to think, this just didn't work. And I'm not sure there's blame to be apportioned here. Like, mm. it does seem like this, he was not, this was, he was not made for this moment, right? Like, he might be a good driver. He was, he, he was rushed into this, but like, there is an element of he is losing his cool. And the things they are trying to do to get him back on track are making it worse because he's reacting poorly to it. Like, when Christian is trying to talk him through how he's approaching a chicane and, uh, Gasly's kind of impatient with it. Like he, he kind of already knows how he's getting this chicane wrong. Um, and he says in, in sort of the, the in the insert shot, the cutaway shot to the interview, you know, I don't need to be told what I'm doing wrong. Like nobody has a higher standard for me than me. Uh, I am my own worst critic, and that could well be true. But the problem is that if you keep fucking up, like nobody's going to trust that you do know what you're doing wrong after right. point and they will try to help because clearly whatever you were trying to do the standard you were setting for yourself is not getting it done and it like the amount of time he was he was losing at, at, at key sectors of the track key corners uh was genuinely bad like not like not f1 caliber performances yeah we we get a bit of monaco action um although it doesn't really amount to much once the checkered flag is is is, uh, is shook, Gasly ends up in fifth. Uh, he started in sixth. He was way off the lead of the group pace, though. Um, Max Verstappen puts up a good fight. 
there was that famous last 10 laps that Hamilton had. Did he lose a gear? I forget what happened in re- when we covered that in real life. Or, when or ERS or something. Some, or something, yeah. So his car yeah. was completely banjaxed, but he did manage to hold on to the position, um, forcing Verstappen to be in second. And of course, we had already had the end of Monaco in the prior episode anyway. So we, spoilers, we already knew that Hamilton had won the race. Um, the... Yeah, I I guess we're back to we had a little bit of uh, uh, you know Jerry Halliwell uh, ginger spice for those um, uh, Spice Girls fans out there um, or not Spice Girls fans I guess we don't know her name is Jerry Halliwell um, uh, her and Christian doing a dance in the uh, in the helicopter and then uh, Tetsuo like we're off to Canada exactly yeah yeah they're just they're just like us um, bye kids come say goodbye to the helicopter <laughs> see you later uh, bye all of our um, child rearing staff then we're off to canada and helma marco is talking about how poor gasly is almost immediately um he's four tenths uh off in the final sector which uh christian horner says which i think you and i could do so that's always uh, <laughs> i think marco clearly... just says it's sad yeah it's sad yeah I, you know which is interesting in the final sector because the final sector is effectively a long straight and the wall of champions. So <laughs> maybe he's super scared of that final chicane. Um, then we're into, which is one of the m- most difficult races, maybe the most difficult parts of this whole thing to watch, which is the Canadian Grand Prix. Um, the Alluding to Gasly being too focused on the data, that part happens here. Uh, Horner talking about how the difference with the greats is how they deal with pressure. Lots of these sort of broad, vague perhaps not even accurate if you really think about it sort of comments that he's talking about um uh and then we're showing the type of pressure that gasly has put under he's being asked to close up to ricardo i just i kept i just wrote down like the actual radio messages for the next Mm -hmm. while close up to close up to ricardo push pierre's we cannot keep doing this push pierre push and he says yeah i'm trying to then it cuts to max verstappen and the radio message he gets is, good start, Max. Take your time. <laughs> uh, the difference of <laughs> pace while, is obviously... And underneath this, the editors put a clock ticking whenever we yes. go to Gasly. Pierre Gasly. <laughs> it's good, yeah. Um, then we have a push Pierre, push Pierre, close up, close up and get past him quickly. Um, Verstappen started in ninth. He's up to fifth at this stage. Gasly is in eighth, and he started fifth. So obviously... Oh, sorry, that was how it ended, actually. Sorry, um, was was Gasly all that way back. And Horner then talking about uh, an interesting thing to say, considering how often Gasly had crashed, but he said, we want heroes here. We don't, you know, want people picking up those small points that are worth nothing to us. We prefer you to crash the car trying. Yeah, uh, he says, uh, if he crashes the car while trying, while going for it, I don't care. What we don't want to be doing is finishing 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th. That has no value to us. Right. And and as many as like platitudes as he says throughout this episode, I think that one is the most illustrative of what the uh um personality I think of Red Bull's management is, right? We don't we don't you must be interesting. You must be right. marketable, flashy. Yeah, you're not Daniel Ricardo. You're not the big smiling Aussie we can all get behind. Um yeah, I, I think the other thing that's like 
there's just something so weird happening with Gasly through this episode. Like, because we, you know, he was an okay driver at mm. Toro Rosso. Like, he looked good the previous year. He was he was fine. He got to Red Bull, it all came apart. Uh, but I, I think in those radio messages and what Horner is saying, it's, it's different bidding a car, go, going for a pass for position in a race versus doing it in testing, right? right. Like that's like losing, like throwing the car away twice in testing is like bad. Cause then your job really is just to get data mm. and uh, not do that. But I, I think that, between the radio messages and this real frustration that seems to be the crux of the issue with Horner, which is that Gasly just has no confidence or killer instinct right now. And he is driving, he's driving badly and he's driving cautiously and he's driving ineffectively. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, it's like, you know, you can be, you can be cautious, but then you at least have to be, fast right like if if, you, if you're not being exciting then you should at least be like turning reliably Consistent. good laps yeah. but yeah but he's not doing that right mm-hmm. and he's in these positions where he should be attacking and they can't seem to motivate him to actually make the effort it's almost like uh you know lincoln berating mcclellan just to do something anything <laughs> against the the confederates right it's it's kind of this element of you're right there go go past that car like it, it doesn't matter if it doesn't seem like it's open. Go force your way through. The part of this that's a little unfair is implicit in all of this is Max would. Max would right. do it. Why won't you? Yeah. And the difference is Max has had Max had room to be overly aggressive and make mistakes early on, and then he became a really like deadly and effective driver uh, from all that. But. It's a bit like it's we kind of fast forward and out at this moment of Gasly being compared to a Max Verstappen that's like three years into this thing and looking way more uh, confident and in control mm. uh, than he was when he started. So I, I, it's 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 a tough it's a tough boat to be in. Yeah, and and you know Max capable of of still making mistakes as well. See a pretty big one in the next episode as well, but. Yeah, it's it's interesting the the mentality that he has. We we try and get a little bit of insight into it. Uh, we might get some when he goes home to his family and talks about his his parents sacrificing a lot. How he left home when he was thirteen years old um, as part of that karting circuit. Um, and clearly, he's just like a a young kid who all all he's ever been doing is racing, and all he has ever wanted to do is race F one, and all of his friends and. Everything is around that, and and this is obviously killing him in some way. The the fact that he has the seat and it's not working. Um, then we're off to the Red Bull Ring, which is uh, obviously Red Bull's home circuit in Austria, Spielberg. Um, Gasly is getting grilled by the media basically every day. His PR oh. guy um, telling him to give conciser answers so he's not stuck there all day. Um, and then we're into into the race at Spielberg, and Verstappen is basically overtaking people at will right from the off, gets up into fifth. Gasly's stuck behind Kimi Raikkonen and just can't get past him. Uh, the radio guy giving him more pressure. Then he's getting le- uh, lapped by Leclerc and by Max. He's waved blue mm-hmm. flags at the home race. Um, just not going well at all. Um, Verstappen, on the other hand, is past Leclerc. That famous little tap he gave Leclerc on the outside of I think it was turn four. That sort of also changed Leclerc's season, his mentality a lot, uh, more of a fighter we saw last year. 
Uh, Verstappen wins the race. Honda are literally crying and Pierre Gasly finishes in seventh. Um, they come over the radio to him and they have to actually have to call his name a couple of times. Yeah. Because I think he's probably in tears or close to it. And he says, uh, congrats, congrats to Max. I screwed it up again. Oof. Um, the, the, the dichotomy of the Honda engineer or Honda executive, whoever that gentleman is, saying Supermax and the champagne being poured. And then uh, Christian Horner, like consoling him like almost like that they knew that was it like there's no way of coming back from this one the conversation that he's having with christian about how, saying like at least we know we have a good car it's just, it's like it reminds me of that last conversation when you're like somebody's getting broken up with and they don't realize they're about to get broken up with and they're planning something next week you know it's like oh no like that's that's not what's happening here um and then we get horner i don't know if this is him being honest or falling on a sword i'm not sure how much of this he's involved with necessarily setting the narrative for what's perhaps well he says perhaps we promoted that driver prematurely um if they're good enough they swim uh, they survive and if they're not good enough then i guess they don't and then the question is he says at the end who is the right guy to partner max verstappen and that leads us into episode six yeah, and you see them scraping the Pierre Gasly's number off of all of the equipment, which is just brutal. Yeah, it's uh, it's it. They, these two are the only ones I think we've had so far that are effectively the same episode. It's just two. It's the other side. Two parters. Yeah, yeah. Because we roll right into Gasly sitting down uh, for the Netflix interview, saying, "So, are you going to tell the truth about this or not?" Yes. Which, like, what does that mean? In his uh. In his Toro Rosso liveries now. Yes, in his gear, yeah. yeah. Episode 6, Raging Bulls. Um, Horner, a quick little, uh, you know, back and forth about releasing Pierre. And then uh, we cut to Alex Albon at a shrine in London, I believe, um, at a at a university or, or something, um, talking about his family setup, which I, to be honest, I remember I, we did the preseason primer and I was talking about Alex and some stuff, and I, I guess I got his, his, his. I, I read wrong into his backstory because his father is a very rich. Is he involved in petrochemicals or something? I forget the. Some he's incredible. He's a very wealthy man, but Alex uh, doesn't seem like he's rolling in money. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um. He also doesn't seem like he has much of a relationship with his father. He says he comes to Silverstone always, but that's basically it. Yeah, he lives in um, Malaysia. Right. Um, he lives with his mother and I think it's two sisters and one brother. I can't tell. Maybe there's a, a, another sibling in there. Um, he does an Instagram story with a monk. Just oh, good old... So nor- good. Yeah, just <laughs> normal ass weekend, you know, just for yeah. for the for his family. Um, uh, and we get a little bit of insight into his mother at that stage, uh, Minky Medina, who or Minky Albon, People may remember her uh, name from, uh, which I guess we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, they show his little house he lives in, a little terraced brick house. Looks like a Harry Potter kind of setup. Mm-hmm. Um, and then photographs of Max Pierre, Esteban O'Carr, and Charles Leclerc, you know, on podiums together and his little helmets that he keeps in the in the dining room. Um, talking about his, his career in Formula 2, how he won in Baku. 
uh, came third in 2018 um, and thought he was going to lose his seat, but then uh, or he, he wasn't sure what was going to happen and got the Toro Rosso call and and uh, and that was that was that was his uh, his his big his big chance. The which is which get- is interesting because he um, it rolls right into Helmut Marco saying uh, we have been watching Alex for some time, <laughs> but which is frightening. But also uh, they dropped him from Red Bull yes. in 2012. Yeah, and they, they uh, later on in the episode, I think they they go back and cover that. Um, the reason for that was his mother went to prison for fraud in 2012, I believe it was, or the mm-hmm. court case might have been 2012. She was released in 2015. Um, he was basically the sort of de facto. Uh, he put it man of the house. He was the he's the oldest child, um, so he kind of had to keep everyone in check and, and step in as a parent it sounded like uh, he referred to himself as a lost sheep and said that he really wasn't surprised when he got dropped he was kind of expecting it he's his head wasn't in it um obviously and then he his his rise back came from him sort of using his thai heritage to uh get some money from a thai talent fund uh which which helped him get a seat i guess at lotus um it, there was an interesting l- line that he said actually earlier in the episode where he said you never know when the next talent to come into the sport you never know the next rich person to come into the sport <laughs> which is <laughs> yeah very interesting because it does sort of cut th- that way but in in also in his uh sense that actually happened as well like he 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 was a young talent but there was an element of his second half of his young career came from being a pay driver from getting money from a from an external uh national fund to to help get his career and of course he still drives under the thai flag in f1 now as well because you have to choose which nationality you, you you drive with um yeah, the I guess that the, the uh, I'm conscious oh, that I'm speaking part. a lot here, so I'm trying to get to <laughs> the right. Sorry, go on. Uh, we forgot the the um, shooting the replacement photographs. Oh God, we're gonna we're remove like, that subject. <laughs> we have to remove that subject. That subject so good, Gasly. Oh, so Man. gross. Gasly this is, is such asked, a cold sport. I know it's it's awful. Um, and you feel kind of bad for Alpine because he 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 says um. With Pierre, you can't really be sorry for someone. You have to yeah. make the most of it. You have to be selfish. Which I don't think is in Alpin's nature. He seems like a pretty humble guy. Yeah, he seems like he's got his head, good head on his shoulders as well, which I think is the narrative of the previous one being Gasly not being able to keep his anxiety in order, perhaps. And here we have shots of uh, Alexander Alban doing meditation before his practice sessions. Like, you know, he's 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 quite centered for uh, for a... A person who seems like he probably has a lot of things in his life as a young child that could cause him a lot of anxiety and uh, like uh, doubt, mm-hmm. like his parents splitting up, his father being absentee, his mother going to fucking prison, him yeah, losing three his career. Co- like, yeah, like uh, what did I say? They said they were, she was on her holiday, is what they used to say at home. <laughs> right. Like he seems to have a strength which. But it's also not like a fake strength. It's not some cold box that he's put around his emotions. He seems like he's actually like very in tune with his own anxieties and fears and is just able to, you know, who knew? Who knew a, somebody who, who you know, goes to Buddhist shrines and meditates might actually have a head on their, on their shoulders? <laughs> I think it's, 
you know, we commented last year how poised he seemed compared to his relative inexperience, right? Like, yeah. even before he was promoted to Red Bull, he seemed like one of, like, the entire crop of drivers seems, uh, like, preternatural in terms of being ready uh, for for the big stage. But he seemed uh, particularly, he seemed to stand out on that front. Uh I had no idea most of the stuff in his background. Like I didn't, I, I didn't know. I figured he was sort of your classic um, child of an expat type character, and you know what I mean. Like I, I sort of figured it was, it was boarding schools and uh, you know board, boarding yeah. schools <laughs> and uh, vacations the whole the whole way down. And I was sort of surprised when we saw his house where he lives with his siblings. So I was like, what? What's that? Surprisingly normal. Uh, I I was also a little bit impressed with uh, as psychologically tense as Red Bull can be. I was kind of impressed by the degree to which they shut down the line of questioning about yes. his mom when the uh, when, when the interview when the interviewer from a paper was trying to raise that. Uh, that was an incredibly forceful shutdown of that and i didn't know his i didn't know the context around his family until i saw this documentary like yeah. i didn't realize that he'd sort of um single parented or boxcar children to his, his family uh for for a few years there and it was it, it was striking because there are so few f1 drivers who do seem to have that kind of who've had to carry that kind of weight, yeah. right? Like Esteban Ocon, uh, probably the other the other driver who's dealt with the most like working class circumstances mm. in, in in some ways. But in terms of having to basically truncate your adolescence because now you're just the the eldest family member and you're responsible for this entire family, uh, that is unusual in in F one. Um, he's an impressive guy. Yeah, I, I think it's hard to come away from this not feeling a great deal of um, respect for him as a person, um, if anything else, um, let alone a driver. Uh, and then we get into, um, uh, you know, the the most difficult part of this uh, episode and season and any season probably of, of, of this, hopefully, please God, um, which was the horrific crash we saw in Formula 2 uh, involving Antoine Hubert. Uh, who obviously sadly lost his life, and one Mal Manuel Correa, who almost lost his, um, almost lost his legs as well. He, he was actually recently, he was in involved in one of those esports races last week, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. I saw his name pop up, so um, great to see him on the on the road to recovery. Uh, and obviously that that famous interview we saw with Hamilton as he was being interviewed in at the paddock while the crash happened while there it was being shown on the grandstands um and yeah they they kind of you know bounce between a bunch of people uh pierre gasly who was his roommate for a number of years who knew him so well um uh i think uh that they're roommates between the age of 13 and 18 um uh albon as well uh and they, they, you know, we won't dwell on it, but they, they obviously show the the drivers, you know, circling his um, uh, helmet before the Formula One race on the Sunday. Um, his mother and I believe his brother uh, standing there as well, um, as they they uh, they pay um, tribute to him. Um, Alex's mother as well was 
pretty they had cameras on her when it happened as well and that was pretty difficult to watch because she's obviously a mother of another driver and all these parents know each other it looks like you know gasly's parents knew where where he knew that something bad had happened because they were in tears um yeah i mean Albon was uh, in formula two the prior year right um yeah pretty pretty terrible and then we see uh alex uh i think this is the race at this stage where Horner and Albon have a sort of a difficult... Horner's not sure what hat to wear. Like, should I wear hat of human who's trying to talk to this young boy whose friend just died and he's about to get in a car, which is way faster than the one that his friend just passed away in? Um, Or should I be a team manager and say, you know, well, he would have given his right arm to be in the car. It was just kind of a little... You know, maybe there's nothing right to say in that situation, but um, we get some interesting voiceover from Albon saying he's like trying to express how he feels in the car, and he kind of just breaks interview and says, "No, you feel worried actually. Like, like I'm he's scared before every race almost. He's saying like, you know, you can anything can happen, and until the lights go out, you're kind of you know just anticipating it. And then we're into Spa, which was a a big moment, I guess." Uh, for Albon before before I get into that what did you guys make of that whole section where they they talked about Hubert and Correa and 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 the history uh between everyone yeah I I thought they they handled um all of that pretty well uh you know they didn't they gave it enough time but didn't linger on it um and there's uh, I think there's a lot or there's there's not a lot really to say and so they just kind of let it be there and say here's what happened here's how people felt um yeah it's you know it's hard to watch but uh i I think they did a reasonably good job Mm. yeah i agree i think um there's times again you you glimpse another interesting documentary subject within this which is like i'm has there ever been a cohort of junior karting drivers and junior formula drivers who had so many graduates to F1 mm. as as a group like the number of photos you have of like pretty much half now the grid uh you know all together at some point as kids is really surprising um and it does sort of make us think about you know through the through the lens of someone like uh Hubert those who didn't get the call up or di- hadn't gotten it yet but probably would have right, right. um it's an interesting like there's an interesting story of this group of guys who were all competing with each other for years as children and were friends as children but also like enemies because to an extent you know if you're on this track you know by age 12 or whatever that there's only so many spots in f1 yeah and you know even at this early age you're in this weird enders game reality of like oh you've got you've got a just destroy your your opponents here you've got to be max and push uh pierre off the track i'd be curious like i'm uh, watching this made me really curious about what is it actually like to have grown up with these guys as kids still being kids in a lot of ways but be but having the deck so completely reshuffled and some of you are f1 drivers one of you is now a multi-race uh winning driver for a red bull and your friend who didn't get the call up is killed in a racing accident mm-hmm. like what like that isn't it is such a weird intense uh concentrated human experience 
and we only get again the the, the barest glimpse of it. Um, and it's just a shocking amount of weight that these guys have to carry on their shoulders. Yeah, it's 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 the the reality TV narrative of this episode, of course, is like, does you know Albon have the mental stamina to rise to the occasion? But then what happens in the meantime is something that will legitimately fuck with your head happens to him perhaps the most one of the most dramatic things that's probably ever happened to him say for what happened to his mother i'm sure happens to him before his debut and and they they almost ease off that narrative a bit like they're kind of like yeah you know which i because like there's a world in which they sort of they do the little bit because they did a little bit of that pushing on the Nikki loud episode a yeah. bit right mm-hmm. and there's a world in which they kind of did it here but thankfully they kind of eased off a bit um, but yeah, th- like you have to be thinking like F1 debut, perhaps it's uh, a, it's easier that they got a engine penalty to put them at the back of the grid. So he's kind of got nothing to lose in a way. Um, Horner says, go, yeah. out, go out and have fun. Um, but as it happens, he um, puts on a great race. He uh, He's overtaken by, or he overtakes Hulkenberg, I think, into 14th or gets overtaken. Um, Gasly's in P9 at this stage. Uh, and he moves After up after Verstappen hits Raikkonen and goes out. Yes, we're well, sorry, you're right. Right at the start, this was the yeah the terrible start from Max. The sort of like mm-hmm. 2018 Max came back and uh, <laughs> tried to overtake up the inside of like this is what Grosjean did that almost got him kicked out of F1 is that he tried to dive down the inside of the first turn at Spa. It's like a total no brainer because like the biggest overtaking zone in all of F1 is about to turn up basically at the top of Eau Rouge. And then, and like, there's no room for the packs. Everyone turns in there. So like, what do you, anyway, sorry, I'm no racing driver. It's easier to be a, a, a critic, but I was so surprised when Max did that first. It was like, what do you, I guess, yeah, he didn't want to back out, but yeah, guys, yeah, Max is out of the race. He basically crashes on the outside of Eau Rouge going up the hill um, because his, uh, his banjacks his front wing. And I think one of his suspensions on his, on his front wheels. Um, then uh, we see the sort of the, the rush for both Gasly and, uh, Albon, they're both having a good race. Gasly is up into 10th position. Um, and this is where the two of them meet each other finally. Uh, Albon's been making his way through the back of the pack, overtaking Hulkenberg and a Force India. Uh, the two of them have a battle uh, up Eau Rouge, gets caught in the slipstream and gets past him pretty easily. Um, it, it, there's a striking shot of the two of them coming up Eau Rouge and you're thinking about what had happened the day before. Um, and it's... it's uh, it's they didn't linger on it in the show but it was kind of one of those moments that you um you, you, you can't help but notice um then he gets past ricardo albon does in a ridiculous overtake on a part of the circuit i don't think i've ever seen anyone overtake yeah it's like the outside of turn 12 or something as you're going downhill into sector the start of sector three um and the next and one is scary is this the perez one? perez one yeah yeah so he's got i think nine laps to grab nine seconds to try and get past Sergio, which would put him in fifth position, I think. And he does it on the, yeah, the straight, the DRS straight at the top of Eau Rouge again, but like he overtakes him on the grass. Yeah. <laughs> I, but it shows the sort of the, the moxie he had to close that nine second gap to then on, whether it be the penultimate or final lap on one of the own main overtaking spots, unless he wants to dive down that, you know, penultimate corner which is always a little bit dodgy um this is the the spot to do it the safest spot to do it but even so he gets pushed out a bit by Perez and does it on the grass Albon finishes the race in fifth from from last place um and Gasly 
uh, himself does a great uh, race as well. Seems confident. Um, uh, scores a couple of points uh, for his friend. He said he scored it for Antoine. Gets P9. And uh, they sort of nicely end with Gasly talking about how, look, obviously this this two-episode arc was all about his downfall in many ways. But, you know, and now he's scoring a couple of points here and there with a with lower team. But um, the one thing that he's trying to take from Antoine's passing is to enjoy racing, enjoy life, and enjoy F1. Um, and the episode uh, closes with them dedicating it to the memory of Antoine Hubert and making note that Formula 2 has retired the Driver 19 uh, number in his honour. And that was the end of episode 6, Raging Bulls. Which wasn't really about Raging Bulls at all. Because no, Verstappen really crashed. <laughs> Verstappen not, was not basically one, not in this episode. <laughs> not one shot of boxing so, at all. Subdued, no boxing. contemplative yeah. bulls. <laughs> yeah. Young bulls. Yeah. Raging, raging calves, perhaps. Uh, what did you make of them, gents? What was your What was your feeling between our Mercedes-focused dark days and our sort of double header with great expectations and raging bulls? I mean, it's it's sort of the 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 downer part of this ten part series. Um, yeah. Started with a bang, uh, but you know, it touches on parts that aren't so uh, happy and flashy. Uh, Formula One. So I think you need the dynamics in a season like this, and. Uh, yeah, I think they did a good job. Yeah, I, I think it, it's weird. Like, downer topic, but fascinating subject matter. Yes. Uh, you know, the the series is called, like, Drive to Survive. And I think the, the vibe of this thing is always, like, this is, this is a pressure cooker sport. Mm. Like, even if you are not competing for victories, your career is always just a few results away from being irrevocably altered or ended. Um, and this is one of the few cases. Again, I'm curious how they find these things that did Red Bull just give them a ton of access and they were able to sort of witness this whole thing. Did they get lucky with being with, with just having so much access for pivotal moments of this thing? Uh, but I think being able to see this entire arc, being able to invest the time in seeing how this unfolds at Red Bull, uh, really does give us a sense of how tough it is to get the call, to be called up to race for one of the big three teams. Uh, and then the scrutiny you were going to be subjected to as Botas alludes to it, but we don't really get to see it through Botas's eyes, what it's like to be partnered with Lewis Hamilton. But when you see like the, the side-by-side comparisons of like over on the radio, great job, Max, you did it again. Brilliant drive, mate. And then like cut to Gasly and it's just like, well, sorry, guys, I that's, I ruined it again. It, it's the, the realization that like there's no space for vulnerability. And there is no sport that I there, there are few sports that I can think of that would so relentlessly touch on every psychological vulnerability you have mm. uh, as F1. Um, and th- these episodes did a really terrific job of capturing that interplay. Yeah, this was um, I watched the episodes um, a couple of nights ago and um, my wife was just playing a game here on the machine and I was watching on the TV there behind me and. Um, these were the ones where she turned around and she doesn't watch any F1 at all or doesn't watch this season or anything. But these are the ones where she like 
was asking a question like what happened or is he okay or did he is he still with them or that you know there was these episodes were more human and like they touch upon the thing that we constantly tell people when it comes to f1 that it's not about who wins at the start it's not about who crosses the checkered flag first that's an element of it but it's it's a soap opera it's about human emotions it's about people on the limit uh, not just of speed but of their ability and career and mental focus and physical well-being and strength and like all of these things um and it just makes me empathize with these young kids like they're just kids like some of them like what education do some of these kids have like they've been racing since they were tots like it's it's really um it's really strange and i think in much the same way that i came away from last year's season really loving esteban Ocon, i think i feel the same way about alexander albon having watched this like i just think Mm -hmm. i'm just um impressed by the fortitude of some of these young people um yeah, and it makes me excited to see what the what they'll what'll make you know because I feel like the uh, I feel like the sexy version of an F one racer was was forever that sort of uh, the Senna the, the not the con- contemplative sensible Senna but the sort of can fly off the handle super passionate just wants to win Senna and we've we've seen versions of that in Vettel and uh, Verstappen and how dangerous that can be as well. And I, I like the idea that we're getting like drivers like Albon who are perhaps a little bit more centered and sensible. They're not quite the the Valtteri Bottas, you know, uh, uh, calm. And they're although you know he's obviously they're not quite Kimmy, <laughs> but they're right. they're also um, you know. Sometimes you hear the old guys uh, like on uh, Beyond the Grid sometimes talking about and, and other interviews as well. Sometimes you hear this little hint of. Well, in my day, the sport was more fun. Yeah. In my right. day, you know, you know what I mean? In my day, we were routed. Like, you kind of hear this in general about, like, boomers Boomers <laughs> sometimes find their grandkids a little boring. Yeah. Right? Where it's like, oh, they're so, they don't do any of the stuff that, that we did. Uh, and I think you see some of this happening in F1 as well. <laughs> but I think, in general, I suspect if you actually knew I, Ayrton Senna, and you were not somebody he viewed as a friend or a confidant. I would bet you that guy would have seemed like an asshole. Mm. I think a lot of the, I think a lot of the dudes from the old days, like in some ways, like you know the the party animals, the you know the the, the good time, the guys who are there always there for the good times. Um, I could sit like in, in some ways. Your your sort of archetypal F one driver is a playboy with a massive ego <laughs> and an incredible like entitlement complex, hmm. and that just does not seem to be the mode of sort of the incoming crop, right? Yeah. Like maybe Max is the closest one you can get to that. I don't. I still don't have enough of a sense for the guy. Like the more I see of him, the less sure I am of like what I actually like. I don't I don't know who he is. Hmm. Uh but this entire crop just does seem very relatable in some ways, but I think the other thing that does hit me really hard when I look at them is they all come across like guys whose childhood was cut short and were turned into yeah. little adults maybe way too early. Yeah. Like that's the that's the part I find a little bit sad about them is all of them to one degree or another feel like guys who they were fighting for their careers by the time they're like 14 or 15. Yeah. And they all sort of have that 
self-possession uh, that's unusual to someone of that age of someone who's just been playing for keeps since since they were kids. Yeah, in a weird way, it marries with the episode four stuff with Hamilton, I feel like, where you got, oh, that's what they look like in six years' time. They just don't know. They're like, they're like, uh, they're like vets coming home to a, to peacetime. They just don't know what else to do. Like, they've been bored. That's their motivation for their entire life. So, like, what else do I do? I have to keep winning. I, I don't know what else I want. Um, interesting stuff. That was uh, Drive yeah. to Survive episode four to six. We will be back in two weeks' time with seven, eight, nine, ten, right, Drew? Uh, two weeks, yes, because next week uh, is a news and emails episode. So Woo. get those emails in, shift of one podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also hit us up on Twitter at shift of one podcast. I'm at Drew Scanlon. That's at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zachney. That's us around the internet. Danny, do you want to take us around <laughs> the world? Let's go electronically racing around the world. <laughs> baby, 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 ones and zeros. Yeah, it's the future. It is. Uh, we've actually been having um, some of our own uh, esports going on. Uh, Corey oh. and Tiger, Tigra, Tiger, have been organizing races on the uh, the SF1, the Shift F1 Discord uh, in iRacing and in F1 2019. Nice. Um, so that's been really fun. I hopped in a couple of those and uh, crashed into a lot of uh, people. Beautiful. Um, and then there are, of course, the official virtual races uh <laughs> happening across a number of motorsports f1 still holding its replacement uh races um on race day sundays uh so the next race would be uh april 19th the chinese grand prix date mm. uh, and they're getting more drivers as the time goes on we've got in the last one there was norris leclerc albin russell latifi and uh antonio giovanazzi uh and a number of former f1 uh drivers like van dorn gutierrez button uh, Anthony Davidson and Johnny Herbert, of course. <laughs> uh, every other series, though, has done a much better job of getting practically all of the drivers uh, in in class. Uh, Australian Supercars just started up uh, with their uh, with a race at Monza that was utter chaos. Oh, uh, really? I'll put a, a link to the show notes. <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, they actually had two races back to back. They are airing uh, Wednesdays, uh, which is a very early morning United States uh, time. Uh, on Twitch, uh, IndyCar is racing on Saturdays, uh, and uh, apparently Dale Earnhardt Jr., the NASCAR driver, will be racing with them uh, in an IndyCar. Um, <laughs> that would be funny if they gave him a NASCAR <laughs> stock car. They totally should. Uh, uh, also, uh, Robert Wickens, uh, the driver who in 2018 uh, had a horrible crash and is, is currently uh, undergoing recovery for uh, spinal injury. He... Uh, uh, suffered in that um is is racing esports with uh, the indycar drivers and judging from uh his performance uh, in the last race uh he's a contender which is really cool because wow. he doesn't have a lot of uh, sim experience that's awesome um, and he's using special wheels uh you know with with throttle on them uh and brake so that's that's super cool to see him back Dude, uh, this, racing i was watching a supercars monza thing this is like unbelievably photorealistic like as somebody Dude, who covers racing, racing games great. it looks so good yeah it's i absurd. think it's because of the way that they model the physics like the cars move correctly 
yeah. it fools your Which brain. Is usually sometimes. the thing that breaks it. It's the yeah. wobble, right? like, like when they have that. Yeah, yeah, it's like the diff. Like it's all working, and the camera movements are so smart too. They they have a bit of hum, human error in them as well. I feel yes, like as well. Or something. Finally, I've been calling for that in sports games right. for, forever because every time you look at like you know a, a player in Madden or something, the camera is locked to zero zero of that player's head, right? Yeah, yeah. and it's not realistic, <laughs> but iRacing does it right. It's yeah, great. It's amazing. Um, NASCAR uh, is also using iRacing. Uh, they're racing on Sundays in Fox Sports. Uh, but I don't think they're racing this weekend. IndyCar mm-hmm. is. Supercars. IndyCar's going weekly. Supercars going weekly. F1 is doing the regular race days. Uh, and not sure about uh, NASCAR, but um, mm. be on the lookout. Uh, other stuff to watch. F1 has been airing classic races on its YouTube channel. And... Uh, the first one they did did not stick around on their YouTube channel, but every oh, really? subsequent one has. Yeah, so Bahrain 2014, Australia 1986, and Monaco 1996 are up there, and they are airing right now, I think, uh, the European Grand Prix of 1997. So unsure if that one will okay. stick, but if you want to go back and watch some old races and you don't have access to uh, F1 TV, uh, where they have archival races. They just highlights uh, those, all right? Out. I think I watched them. They're highlights, aren't they? They're short. No, form. these are the full races. Oh, really? Maybe, maybe, maybe that's what's been happening to me. Is I've been going back and they've had highlights instead of them or something. I mean, the F1 TV archives are not complete. Okay. Like you'll yeah. go to a season and they'll have like half of the full races. No, I mean and on the YouTube. Rest are art. So they had uh, Brazil was the one, the first one that yes. they aired, and they took the full archive off of YouTube and they only have the highlights. Okay, for yeah, that yeah. one left. Yeah, because I watched a couple them, of the highlights ones. Yeah, um, rest from last week. Yeah, uh, up anyway. yeah, that's stuff to watch. Again, we'll have um, uh, a patron-only podcast this week for Uppity, yeah. the Willie T. Ribs story uh, documentary on Netflix, uh, and we'll have uh, track walks going up for uh, early access uh, for patrons and on our YouTube channel for everybody else. Um, mm. Yeah, anything else, uh, Danny? No, it's a. This is a great season. It's not a great season. It's a. It's a non-existent season. It's a great series. Strive to survive. Um, yeah, can't wait for next year's. <laughs> uh, and Rob, I actually am really curious. Like, yeah, I would shoot happens? this documentary. Yeah. Shoot the documentary. Like, absolutely. The teams. The teams are swept up in this. Uh, like, I would be very curious to see. Like. Some of them are building ventilator components right now. Okay, yeah. like show right. me that. I would be, I would be fascinated. I would bet you they didn't, uh, because part of the appeal is you're showing races and not how it's made. Uh, <laughs> you know, ventilator, Another ventilator valve. Uh, yeah, edition. Totally. yeah. Uh, all right. Well, again, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so at patreon.com patreon.com slash shift f one. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Meow.